Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. All right, everybody, welcome again to the Deepen podcast. We are on week four of this series called Live Abundantly, once again joined by our live audience. What's up, everybody? Oh, real good. Yes, sir. We did not practice that. Uh, <laughs> boy, t- today we are talking about abundant work. And uh, Pastor Joby, you've laid out for us this series um, is addressing several of the things that the enemy wants to use to trip up the abundant life. Right. All right. So set us up for why work is so, so important in that conversation. Well, Ask yourselves, how many times has work been a, a, a source of some of the greatest pain or confusion or turmoil or strife or relational pain in your whole life? And so, again, this whole Live Abundantly series, we're primarily studying things that the book of Proverbs talks about. <clears throat> I've heard it said, it got real famous a few years ago to say, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is true in regards to your justification. Yeah. That is not true in regards to the way you live your life according to Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, those kind of things. And so there's some landmines, potholes that the enemy has used, and we talk about four of them, and one of them is employment or vocation or work. Yeah. And so I want to dismantle some uh, false ideas about what work is and then rebuild on what it looks like to glorify God at work. And uh, we have a very special guest with us tonight. Which, very. Uh, why don't you tell us who that is and, and why you asked this uh, this lovely young lady to my right why she's here tonight. I know, I'm a little nervous. You're going to tell me I work too much. That's why I'm here. The good, the wise example. Rebecca Maxwell is back with us. Oh, yes. <laughs> I invite Rebecca here. She literally is one of the smartest human beings I've ever met in my whole life. She really is. True. And I've known her for a long time, and we're neighbors, and her husband works here, and he's one of my best buddies, and our kids have grown up together. There's a lot going on there, but yeah. uh, she's a licensed marriage and family counselor. And I, I you know, I just thought about it when we sat, sat down. I think um, you telling a little bit of your story of your calling, because Rebecca built our kids' ministry here mm-hmm. and uh, put a pause on, like, her vocational aspirations for a bunch of years to help us get 1122 started. And I asked her to do that back in the day because she was a grown mom. And I wanted mamas to be able to trust us when they handed over their little baby for a mm-hmm. service when we first started. So anyway, yeah, she did that. And then she knew that wasn't like God's ultimate calling, but she just stopped what she was doing to serve God that way. And then now she's like our primary go-to marriage and family counselor. Mm-hmm. And I think it's adorable that you thought you might not have enough clients when you launched. And now, if you could replicate <laughs> yourself 10 times over, you'd yeah, be full. I'm working on replicating 10 mm-hmm. times over. Good. Yeah. So yeah. why don't you talk a little bit about okay. that story? Like For sure. the journey of the the call, the pause, the re-engagement. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll go all the way back. I went to Georgia Tech to pursue architecture. <laughs> they're very smart people to go to Georgia Tech. Yes. They're not good at sports, but they're very smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, architecture was not my thing. I was not very good at it to get out of school and make no money. So my dad let me stay, thankfully, to get a degree in management with all the athletes. 
And so I have a degree in management as my undergrad. Um, but not long after I got out of college, uh, Sean and I were serving in a youth ministry where he grew up outside of Atlanta. And some mamas approached me and said, hey, um, we need a new youth minister here. Our youth minister's leaving, and we think you would be great. And I said, I have no training in this at all. I love teenagers, and I love Jesus, and I believe the Bible's true. That's all I got. And they said, perfect. So That's I, better than most youth ministers right there. You're in <laughs> right. the top 1% yeah. already. So I, I kind of just fell into youth ministry, got a little bit of training there at Fuller Seminary, and kind of launched into my first career of youth ministry, kids ministry. I did a little bit of adult discipleship once we, we moved to Jacksonville. And um, there was just a point where I felt like God was calling me to the next thing. I didn't know what that was. And I have a really wise friend that said, well, what do you love about your job now? Because I loved youth ministry. I was not unhappy at all. And I loved working with teenagers and their families just on life stuff. So went back to school to pursue a degree in marriage and family therapy. And then somehow met Joby Martin, who said, hey, we're launching this church and you should come be a part of it. And, um, and really, God just kept telling me, like, you don't want to miss this movement. Like, this is going to be a thing that you do not want to miss. And he was, he was telling me the truth, Amen. like he always does. And so um, I did, I paused a couple, a couple uh, semesters and helped launch the church. And, but then the church was really faithful and helpful in me launching my practice as well. So a little bit of a roundabout way and second career, but God is faithful and he will point you in the right direction. And sometimes there are detours along the way. So here, here's the evidence of what a good leader she is. The team that she brought up here at 1122 is currently the team in charge of kids' ministry. They're rock stars. They are incredible. <laughs> and uh, and you want to talk about some humility and character. And Rebecca still works as a serve staffer in kids' check-in on Sunday morning. So think about this. She built this massive kids' ministry, and now she's checking people in every week. They have no idea that she's like... <laughs> the godmother of the it's whole thing, and she secret. just serves in that. That's, I mean, it's really, yeah. there's probably a lot of proverbs about that. Yeah, it's fun. They're my people. Oh, it's great. <laughs> so somebody listening is thinking, I want to get done with this school soon, or I want to get on to this next thing I'm called to, but I feel like there's a detour that God's calling me to make. What word of encouragement would you give them? When you know the Lord's voice and you know what he's calling, you just got to do it mm. because he will give you a front seat to abundant life, to wild adventure that you'll, mm. you can never imagine yourself. Mm. And when God said, you don't want to miss this, the best thing I did was say yes. Mm. When I could have said, no, I'm, I'm doing something else now. Yeah. And um, so, so I say, follow the Lord and he will always do far more than you can ask yeah. or imagine. There's a scripture that says that the Lord can restore the years that the locust eats. And I think he, he can do that in many, many different ways. And our, our idol to control our time or our, our future, especially with career, uh, it's, a bit like, it's a bit like generosity, right? You know, you know how we say, God can do more, uh, he can help you do more with that 90 than you could with that, that 100, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's the same sure. thing with time. Like, so when we say, hey, all my time is yours, he redeems it and makes it more. You know, that's what it makes me think of. Yeah, yep. in regards to like working vocation, the worst thing you can do is be in a hurry, man. Yeah. I mean, think about this. God was has never been in a hurry, mm. ever. 
Never at one point was he like, are y'all hurry up, hurry up. Never. He, he, why take six days to create everything? That's true. He could have done it in one millisecond. He could have just said everything, and then we all be there. Mm-hmm. But he does it. So he's never in a hurry. Right. And you look at the Apostle Paul, like he's on his missionary journey. He's talking like the middle of Acts. And he's trying to go to Asia. And the Spirit of God goes, nah, go here. Nah, go here. Stops him three times. Mm. Which, by the way, turned out to be all the books of the Bible that we read in the epistles. You know what I mean? Those mm. were the places he was. And then he gets a vision to go to Macedonia. He sees that man, the angel of the Lord, on the other side of the water and says, come over here. Mm-hmm. So he did not have his missionary journey mm. that has affected all of us. I mean, he had in his mind what he was going to do. But, you know, the plan's a man, whatever. And, but he was so sensitive to the spirit of the Lord yeah. telling him to what not to do and where to go, that he ended up exactly where God had him. Mm. I feel like that's how I ended up here. Mm-hmm. I never in a million years had a plan. Well, first of all, I never planned to be a senior pastor. That word scares me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just trying to like do the ministry that was right in front of me right. and do it to the best of my ability and then just trust God with whatever happens. Mm. In fact, that, like this podcast... It gets, there's a lot of people that listen way more than we ever intended. Mm-hmm. And, but all we try to do is just deepen the people that listen to the sermons. That was like the goal. Mm. And then we find out there's like church leaders and, you know, there's all these kind of other things that God uses it for. Mm-hmm. I think your story is a, an example of just trusting God in the now and then he'll take care of tomorrow. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And he doesn't stop. Like he can, he will continue to lead you into places you never thought you would go. Mm-hmm. And he will equip you to do all of that as well. Totally. Yeah. yeah. When you think about work, there's, you could think about doing the things that God tells you to do or uh, working in a godly way, doing thing, doing things God tells you to do. And then you could also think of doing work the way God works. Yeah. And that's kind of what you're saying, right? Like God is a intentional, creative God mm-hmm. And so what if whatever you're doing, it wasn't just tasks to hurry through. Right. It was the act of creating. Right. Just like God creates. Yeah. And you talked about the cultural mandate, um, the, the, the command that is subdue, cultivate, have dominion. And I'll, I would love to talk a little bit more about how that is really a theme for so much of God's plan. So, um, okay. I'm going to set you up for this one. The, the, the beginning, he says, subdue and cultivate, they're in a garden. Genesis chapter 2, 10 through 14. Uh, he's talking about that garden, and he says, here's the kind of water source that it has. Here's the kind of soil. Here's, it has these uh, raw jewels and gems in the soil. It has natural minerals. It has all these things. So what does that tell us? So... Keller, Tim Keller talks about God glorifying work is when we rearrange the raw materials for human flourishing to the glory of God. You can't make the raw materials and it does not end at human flourishing. Mm. So on both of those, you got to go one step in either direction and understand that everything we have is a a blood-bought grace gift, right? Like your ability to study and be trained and work with these families, when you sit down and help whatever it is, a teenager or a married couple, be who God created them to be, it's for their flourishing and to the glory of God. And that was God's ideal for Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, another thing that I love, so in Exodus 3, 
so that obviously you have Adam and Eve and Noah's Ark and Abraham and all this stuff. And then when the people of God are in slavery in Egypt, they are going to go to the promised land. Yeah. And what they're told is that it's going to be a good land that's flowing with milk mm-hmm. and honey. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever like seen a milk tree <laughs> or a honey plant? Right. No. So what's, what that is saying is that the land they're going to go to is a land where they can work. That's right. Yeah. Because milk comes from, you have to be a shepherd to get milk. And the honey was probably a date syrup. Okay. So they had to grow date trees. There's so the, a lot it, of work in that. In Exodus 3, I think it's Exodus 3, in Exodus, God lists out the type of uh, vocations and jobs that he was instituting. Mm-hmm. And there were like carpenters and teachers and real estate folks. I mean, it's, it's like 25 different things, woodworkers mm-hmm. and wool workers, and there were all of these different vocations. Mm-hmm. So this somehow along the way, I, um, I don't want to say why, somewhere along the way, some misguided church leader began to make this distinction between us and them. Mm. And like, we're the holy people. In fact, they put that in some of their job titles at the church. That might be a clue as to who did it. Uh, They began to say, no, no, we're like the holy and here's my job title. And you are the sheep. You are the, you know, the congregation, the parishioners, Mm. that kind of thing. The New Testament idea is that the people that work at church are here to serve the saints and to equip them for the holy work of the ministry. Mm. So the the, the post-Great uh, Commission idea of work is that I'm not in the ministry. You're in the ministry. Right. That you have the holy job. I have the mundane job of teaching the Bible, equipping you so that you're ready to do the work of the ministry. It's actually turned exactly upside down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the word minister means service or servant. Right. Right. So to to be in ministry is to be a servant. So who's called to do that? That's right. Everybody. Everybody. Yeah. And uh, when you mentioned at the end about that the greatest mission organization is our employer. Right. I mean, that was it stopped me in my tracks. That just changes everything you think about going to work. Well, I made it up while I was standing there. So it was I've thought about it. Like I'm looking at all these faces. Because, you know, I know, I mean, I just know a bunch of these people that especially that sit towards the front and stuff. And I'm, yeah. I was just thinking, I was thinking about where people worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was thinking, I don't pay you to go share your faith. Your company pays you right. to share your faith. Yeah. And you, and there's a bunch of business owners there too. And I thought about that. I was like, yeah. you are paying your one mores and requiring them to be at your job. Uh-huh. That's the greatest, the, the greatest number of missionaries ever sent out are the are just the quote unquote secular companies of our world. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and you t- you mentioned you kind of mentioned this too, but you know, for me and you, we got to be intentional. Like, okay, what gym should I work out at so that there's a lot of non Christians <laughs> around? You know what I mean? Like, because I'm around church staff or church leaders or small group leaders or whatever, you know? And so I got to figure out, okay, how can I get around unsaved people? Well, it's one of the reasons <laughs> her husband, Sean, and I coached baseball all these uh-huh. years, you know? Yeah. It was just like a, you know, what's a built-in way where we can be with our kids and have a winning team because we didn't trust the other coaches mm. and around here and we won most of the time. And if you look back, the number of boys from our teams that we baptized that our oh, yeah. boys are lifelong friends with and now, honestly, half a dozen of their parents are deacons at our church. Mm-hmm. Well, we had to, like, figure out in our free time how we could meet these people, mm-hmm. you know? I, d- I just want people to 
You know, it hit me in Acts 17 when it's like God has decided who's going to live where and when, and he's laid down the borders, and those people are not far from God. Well, the only way that can be true, they may feel far from God, but if you're next to them, they can't be far from him because he's in you. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorite passages in in the New Testament, and it's all about contextualization because he's, right before he starts that sermon, it's Paul. He's in Athens, right? Mm-hmm. He go, is, go yeah. To, go to Athens. Go to Athens. And uh, so he <laughs> he is in this place called the Areopagus where there's these idols. And uh, he's noticing that all these different idols are there. And there's one that's got an inscription that says, to an unknown God. Yep. So that's how religious they were. They're like, hey, we've got all these people that we know. And then just in case we missed one, there's that, that idol. And then, so he starts this sermon. He says, I can see that in every way you're very religious. Yep. And I want to explain to you what you actually don't, what you call as you call unknown. And so that's a great picture of what we're talking about as well. Like watching your surroundings, recognizing what they need, and then giving them a message that's appropriate for where they are. Yeah, he pulled the elf. He's like, I know him. <laughs> that's the unknown God. I've met him. I think a lot of people kind of bide their time in jobs that they don't feel called to instead of like mm. renewing their mind about why they might be there mm-hmm. and why this might feel like a detour to them. That mm. There might actually be something that God is calling them to do there mm. or a one more that they're calling them to reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good godly thing to pursue what on earth am I here for? But right. we know everybody is here for the Great Commission unto the glory of God to the nations. We know that. And then and then you begin to figure out, so what's my part? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the bill of goods we've sold a bunch of 20-year-olds is that they're going to know that when they're 22 years old. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And that's the only thing they're going to get to do. And anything outside of my passion, then I don't have to do that because that's right. not what I was wired for. Mm-hmm. Who told you that? Yeah. Who told you that? The fact that the English language and Western civilization has transformed the word passion, which was to describe what Christ went through on the cross to what makes your heart pitter-patter when you get to do it, mm-hmm. is yeah. is an example in the idolatry of self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you've talked before, I think this is also from Pastor Larry Osborne, but uh, there's this idea out there of what you really should do is chase fulfilling, you're reaching your potential as a human, you know, and a lot of people, you talked about idolatry of work. People use work as like, this is the way that I can fulfill my potential. So how do you demystify that yeah. in, a, in a godly scriptural biblical way? Uh, potential is a myth. Yeah. Uh, you need to, you need to do whatever he tells you to do. Right. So in particular, Paul in Corinthians talks about don't fulfill your potential but if he calls you to get married, get married. And the moment you get married, you will you are going to diminish the amount of ministry potential that you have in the church mm. because, as Paul says, not me, you will have worries of many kinds. Can I get an amen from all the married folk? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just true. So yeah. so, but I would be disobedient if I didn't marry Gretchen, you know what I mean, and raise my children. Yeah. Right. But I could, I could have more potentially... God could use me in greater ways as a pastor if I didn't have a family because I could just work here 24 hours a day and, you know, right. not do family vacations and that kind of stuff, right? Right. And if we if we go based on what we think our potential is or what some teacher or professor or even a parent tells us our, our potential might be, we might miss, you know, something more abundantly that God has for us. Totally. Did you ever think you'd be an author? No. And now you're an author. I know. <laughs> Things like that, you know. know. Third book is... On its way. On its way. <laughs> oh, I was told by my my first grade English teacher said I would never graduate the 
I don't know if it was third or sixth right. grade where she gave me. Yeah, people cap your potential. Yeah. God doesn't oh. cap your potential. He's got something. So I sent her an invitation to more. my high school graduation, my college graduation, <laughs> my grad school. She died, but I still sent them anyway. So. <laughs> so why do people, you talked about this, why do people, why do you think people confuse work as if it's the same thing as sin? Like, you know, the, the ground was cursed because of sin. Work existed, but work became different. But why do people confuse those two things? Well, I think a lot of people think, have this idea that when God created Adam and Eve in the original context, they were just sitting around, like, eating fruit from the non-forbidden tree, doing whatever naked and unafraid people do. You know what I mean? But that, that is not, And so the thing that we have to do now is a result of the fall. It's not. Now, the enemy loves to take a good gift and then twist it. So take food. That's a good gift from God. Mm. The Bible's full of verses about food. And then you look at what he does in people's lives, right? right? Either way, like, I mean, you can indulge too much or you can be so uh, absorbed in what you look like that you avoid it at all cost. Well, man, that is a twist of the enemy. Take alcohol. Wine is a gift from God, according to Psalms. Can I get a witness from the Baptist? Yes. And but, I mean, look how the enemy has twisted that to kill, steal, and destroy, mm. right? Sex yeah. is a gift from God. Enemy twisted. Work, same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's why I went down the here's, the, here's kind of the two ditches that we tend to fall in. Mm -hmm. Either, either the, the laziness trap, and I know some people that love Jesus with all their heart, and they're some of the laziest, slothful and blame it on him. I was I was discipling this kid one time. This kid, he's like a college kid. And, and he was like, I'm getting, I'm being persecuted for my faith. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He was a waiter, and he got in trouble for reading his Bible at work. And he was like, can you believe that? I was like, why are you reading your Bible at work? You should work at work and then read your Bible. Get up early. You don't even go in until 4 o'clock. Surely you can squeeze your quiet time in before 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And he was so, like, he thought, he thought he was doing the high, holiest thing he could do. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. The holiest thing you could do at work is work. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, ain't nobody paying you to read the Bible unless you work here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then that is your work. Mm -hmm. You should, people conflate those things. Yeah. As if, yeah. and honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with like 15th century art with, with like chubby angels in diapers, you know, <laughs> floating <laughs> on clouds. Yeah. Cherubs. And they're like, yeah, anything other than that, you know, must be yeah. worldly. Yeah. I mean, speaking of idols, the idol of comfort is huge. And so, and I, I've heard it, I mean, I've thought it, and I've heard conversations where people have this idea that if it's hard, it's not from God. And so do you think that's part of it too? Like if it's yeah. because work is hard, therefore it must not be from God. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, we'll conflate language of like open doors equals ease. And closed doors equals hard. Therefore, hard must not be a door. I'm like, what are you? Hold on, stop. You're making stuff up. Okay. Do what he told you to do. Mm -hmm. The Apostle Paul was told to take the gospel into places. One time he goes in, they throw rocks at him until he was either dead or unconscious. I think the New Testament is um, specifically vague about that. And then the ghost either revives him or wakes him up, and he goes back in because he wasn't finished with his sermon yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. What? I don't think you could be like, I just have a piece about this because of an open door. No, you got rocks in the face. But you just got to do what he tells you to do. Yeah. Yeah, you may not have a, a piece about what you're doing, but you have the peace of Christ doing it. Oh, man. 
So peace is always. You should write that down and tweet peace. it or whatever. I think I stole it from somebody, so I can't take credit. But I I'm giving you credit, I don't Rebecca think, Maxwell. <laughs> I don't think we always have peace about everything that we're doing. Yes. Like that's mm. not a determiner of whether God wants us to do it. Correct. Mm. But the peace of Christ is going to go with us no matter what. I think mm. He calls us into big things that we don't necessarily have peace or comfort about, but mm. He's going to give us peace when we take the step of obedience to go that's into really it. That's really good. Yeah. Well, and, and character that God is forming in us, the word character has the, the, you know, inscribing a letter into a stone tablet, like it's the tool, a chisel that does that, right? And so if we want to develop character, it's going to involve that chipping away, that engraving, that, yeah. that painful process. So how has working hard been a tool to develop character in, in your life? Well, I know, like, when we started this place, man, there was a, I mean, it's hard work. It was hard. To start a church. Yeah. And especially, like, we didn't start as, like, a Bible study at my house, and it slowly, over 20 years, turned, I mean, the first day we got here, opening Sunday was 3,364 people. It's kind of a lot. And so, the we're running services at Beach, and then... And then the mo the moment you get done with like your regular work day over there, you we all come over here and we're like setting up chairs and putting together little baby things and painting. I mean, we were doing. In fact, I remember opening day. It was kind of, the only room that was ready was the room we met in. <laughs> like we didn't nobody at, that worked here. It was fourteen of us on staff. We didn't have desks. We didn't have chairs. We didn't have. <laughs> no. There was just all the stuff too was jammed. It was kind of like. When somebody, if they text you, like, hey, I'm in their neighborhood, I'm coming over, and your house is a wreck, <laughs> and you do that flight to the bumblebee, and you just only clean up the one room they're going to see, you know, yeah. and you're like, don't open that closet, it'll kill you. That's what it looked like here the first day. <laughs> and then the, and Petey, who at that point was the chairman of the Board of Elders, he's so wise. He gets our team together, and he's like, hey, good job. That was the starting line, not the finish line. Because mm -hmm. we did one service, and we thought, we won. We're like, no, nah, you're just beginning yeah but anything yeah. worthwhile is worth hard work for yeah yeah i remember the first time i walked in here i was like man this place is so trendy look at these like tin refurbished things and a pallet <laughs> wall and stuff like that but i come to find oh, out later found it, it was free it was all free stuff we got all um, the kids toys from garage sales <laughs> no doubt that was a lot of work this is before we had hope's closet like everybody thinks the, the deer head in the bathroom are like, oh, you're a strategic way to meet, to, to, to reach men. And I'm like, no, I had a bunch of deer heads <laughs> and we had to decorate the men's rooms. Gretchen was like, put them in there. Yeah. That's it. Uh, you were talking Our about some hard work. Doors. Have you ever tried yeah. to take apart a pallet? That is hard <laughs> work. We used to have nail pulling parties. Remember? Yeah. We just get together and pull yeah. nails. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, that was way before Joanna Gaines. So, yeah. You know, oh, we were so cool. Oh, man. We knew shiplap. <laughs> uh, so there's you, re, you mentioned this verse I think it's the Colossians 3 uh, verse whatever you do do all for the glory of God yeah uh, what is is there a limitation to that in any way like what would fall outside of that on the whatever you do you cannot sin to the glory of God okay so you said in passing uh, <laughs> yes you caught me <laughs> I, caught like, I don't care what you do and then I thought oh no uh, there are some things. There are some things you can be doing which you should stop doing. So, yeah. um, like if your job involves sexual immorality, that is not to the glory of God. That's God right. will never bless what He condemned. Mm. 
And sometimes people do that. Here's what's crazy, man. Uh, I mean, take the Enron guys. That may have been so long ago that a lot of people don't know what I'm talking about, but mm -hmm. Google it, okay? You're showing your age. Yeah. <laughs> it shows. <laughs> I'm not hiding it. Uh, Senior pastor. Right? These guys, they, they lied and cheated and stole and thought somehow it was mm. going to be blessed. Mm. Like, there's no way. The like, God is not... He, he, he's not just in charge of the ends, but also the means to that end. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now, he, he is at work in all things, um, so you're not outside of his reach, but think about it. If, if, you're, if you're, like, cheating at work or you're trying, it's kind of a shady deal, mm -hmm. and then you're praying, dear Lord, would you bless this deal? He may say, sure, I will. I'm going to put you in jail for it mm. because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, and God's kindness is conviction. Mm -hmm. that's, that's from the first part of Romans. Mm -hmm. And then the wrath of God is for him to turn us over to our own wicked desires. Yeah. And that's path principle stuff. That's a, yeah. it, it, I'm going to, all right, the wrath of God would be for him to let you be shady, mm -hmm. keep going down that road, lose your family, lose your job, be in jail, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. The grace of God would be to convict you or even bust you so that you would turn to him. Mm. So you said, uh, you, you mentioned, if you don't willingly repent of that idol, the most loving thing God might do is to take it away from you. He doesn't play well with idols. And so uh, say there's somebody who they lost their job mm -hmm. or there's a, a tr something that's like, they're like, this is a terrible circumstance. <clears throat> How does that person discern? Is this God pulling an idol away from me, or yeah. is this an attack from the enemy? Oh, this is so easy. Time. In the moment, you probably can't tell. Yeah. Like, so I, I briefly mentioned Joseph, like Old Testament coat of many mm. colors guy. Mm -hmm. As he's in prison, I don't, he, can, he has no idea how God's going to be at work in this situation for his glory. Mm. So it's, it's almost always once we get there, we can turn back and see God's hand in our lives mm -hmm. and say, oh, I mean, for instance, I was at a church that had departed from the authority of the scripture and, and it was miserable and it was, I'm like, what am I doing here? And I was in trouble all the time and it was a very, very low season, but that's what led me to Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. So it's easy on this side to look back and be like, oh, I can see God's hand. Mm. In the moment, I'm praying Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, it feels tragic. It feels, it feels like God has left you when he's really just maybe pulling you out of something, mm. providing something new. Wow. Uh, one of the things, here's another tweetable thing. Uh Every idol demands a sacrifice. That's a fact. You know, so if work is your idol, you're sacrificing something to that idol, to that God, that little G God. The crazy thing is, is it's often the thing that you're sacrificing is the things that you say you love most, which yeah. is your God and your family. Mm -hmm. right. And then oftentimes we blame them for it. Mm -hmm. I can have a tendency to do that. You know, I can say, I know I've been gone a lot, but look what I can provide for you. Yeah. And I know my children and all the kids I work with in all those years of student ministry, they would take time with me over, you know, whatever. Yeah, um, they don't care about the all this all yeah. the stuff you provide. They just want you. Right. In fact, it's it's probably inversely true 
the better kids that I had in student ministry had the least amount of opportunities. Mm. Not like poverty level, but just kind of regular middle America stuff. Mm. It was typically the kids that did anything they want and got everything they want that were the worst. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, entitlement. Totally. Rebecca, what, what has been your experience, you know, with the families that you work with uh, related to that? Like, what kind of things have you seen people just sacrificing and then maybe the regret that they experience because of it? Yeah, I think um, something comes to mind kind of related to work, but um, like, I think there's a big propensity for parents right now to give their kids a lot of comfort and... Uh, not let them fail Mm. and not let them receive natural consequences for Mm. bad decisions. And, you know, that doesn't teach them a work ethic. It doesn't teach them life and how to fail and what the consequences are when you don't do things. Um, (laughs) It reminds me of the time that I made Colin walk to school. (laughs) I forgot. Oh, please share. This is incredible. Not a little waste. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I was always the mom that I would say would give my kids emotional consequences when they messed up. I would lecture, I would nag, I would raise my voice. Those are like emotional consequences, right? Um, but then I finally realized, why am I doing this? I'm ruining my relationship with them. I'm miserable, and they're not learning anything from just hearing me talk. And so... Colin is loves to sleep like his mom and hasn't learned yet not to press the snooze button. And so I finally just said, look, tomorrow, if you do not, if you do not get yourself up and are ready to leave when I need to leave to get you to school, you will walk. And it's like a mile. I mean, you know, it was might have been a little dangerous crossing Beach Boulevard, but um, but I, I let him walk and I got some messages like, hey, does Colin need a ride? Nope, nope, nope. He does not need a I ride. I got messages too. <laughs> Oh, the Maxwell's okay. We just saw Colin walking down the road. Are they broken down somewhere? Yeah. I was like, I don't Remember broken. that line from the prodigal son? No one gave him anything. That's right. <laughs> it worked. Wow. I mean, he was not late the rest of the year. <laughs> so, yeah. so you're saying well, that, but like, that is so. The the underlying thing here is that it's real. I, I love picking on all the like Gen Z people, and I get all these <laughs> questions, which is a bunch of you guys here. Welcome. Uh, I get all these questions from like pastors and how do you reach Gen Z? And I'm like, I don't know, ridicule? Because that's all I do. (laughs) But in reality, when you have a whole generation that has been coddled to and taught the greatest value is comfort, Mm. what would you expect? Mm. I mean, I ought to be yelling at my generation. We raised them, right? Yeah, it's our fault. (laughs) So we very similar thing, man. One of our children had to get his oil changed and uh, he slept through it. I was going to ride him up there and do the whole thing. And then I just said, hey, man, you missed it. So Saturday, it's on you. Good luck. If it's not there at eight, then you don't have a car until this happens. Mm -hmm. You know, same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And how else are you going to learn how to just take your car to the mechanic? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So are you saying that the sacrifice people are making is that they're not willing to sacrifice short-term comfort for the long-term benefit, yeah. like the uh, the whole thing of parents saying, well, "I want, I want to be my kid's friend." You yeah. know what I mean? So they're and making that's that about sacrifice. Us, yeah. By the way, yeah. When we don't want to see our kids in pain, 
and with consequences, that's about us. Mm. That's because we can't stand it. It's too painful for us mm. to let them walk to school, mm. to let them get a detention because they were late to school so many times. Like yeah. that's painful for us when they get an F on their report card mm. because they didn't do the work that they should be doing. Right. Mm. And so in trying to keep them from pain, we're actually just mm. trying to keep ourselves from pain. Mm. Wow. That's so good. So uh, you mentioned the um, the Protestant work ethic and yeah. the way that things, you know, I thought of that example too of you ever see the, the business with the fish on it. I'm just like, well, they're probably terrible, you know, because <laughs> they're just hoping you get, is, get the mercy business, you know, but, from people. Yeah, but the thing I hear is that, you know, I, we have a dear friend, Russell Sweeney. He owns a plumbing company that is now a, he does all kind of stuff. And he, he will tell me, Dude, the number of people that I serve and then they don't pay. And when you're like, hey, man, and they're like, I thought you were a Christian. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the Proverbs would not have a verse there about grace. Right. right. And Paul, that's so foreign to Paul. I mean, he, he says, we could have, like, he's talking about himself, right. his ministry team. Yeah. We could have come visit your church and just said, hey, you put us up in a hotel. Right. You pay for all of our stuff, but we didn't even do that. Right. We kept working so that you wouldn't have any reason to say we took advantage. And of he it. said he he was Paul said he's the greatest sinner but the hardest worker. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. So he's not a, he's not boastful. Yeah. 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 I think Christians should be the hardest workers on the planet. Yeah, hardest workers, best tippers. Right. You know. Mm. You know, pay pay for what you are receiving. Correct. You know, pay fairly. It makes me think of so there's there's these branches inside of Christianity inside of the church where there's an emphasis on making the world a better place. So you might call this social gospel emphasis, okay. or like uh, historically there's these beliefs, utopianism that we're going to actually make the world into heaven eventually. Which I don't think that's justifiable if you read your Bible. There you go. Um, so that's one extreme. The other extreme, and this hits at the Baptists background that we we have is it was all going to burn you know or like oh. let's eat all the fried chicken because i'm going to get a new body anyway you know <laughs> a lot sooner uh, a lot sooner <laughs> than you thought if they keep eating that way yeah. but uh so how would you balance how are we to live in this world like it, maybe it's a question of uh you, you, could, you could talk about like the environment you right. know should we work hard to preserve the environment or, or to build societies or or should we be so focused on e- eternity so it's like well why are you even bothering because jesus come back anyway you know what i mean it's the craziest thing how how politically we've lined up on things you know mm. i'm like the left has grabbed onto the environment thing christians should be the one that are like no 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 we need to be stewards of this yeah. like it does right. not rule the day and maybe you don't let a 13-year-old girl that rides around on a sailboat be your loudest spokesperson on that. Maybe mm-hmm. actually talk to scientists. However, <laughs> it's crazy. The left are the people that think there's nothing to it but it. Yes. And we are the people that think it has intrinsic value because right. it is because God, God created it. Yes. Therefore, we should be the ones taking care of it. And then on the other side, the right, we are the biggest fighters for the most vulnerable group of people who have ever been created, which is the unborn. That sounds like a thing that would be on the way on the left, and the extreme religious people would be like, "Well, they're all going to go to heaven anyway, so it doesn't matter." It's like we flip flopped. <laughs> it doesn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, the thing is, man, we live in the world, not of the world. We we treat this place more like a hotel room or a bed and breakfast, probably, than a permanent location. But we are called to be good stewards of every good mm-hmm. gift that God has given us. But we don't worship that gift. Mm. That's where the far left has gone on, like, 
environmental worship. Right. Yeah, I think I think as a people like humans, we think in extremes and we try to live in extremes. Everything is, you know, good or bad, right or wrong, left or right. And I don't think that's always the answer to the question. I think it has to do with, you know, following what God asks us to do, being good stewards, mm. following what he says to do and how to live, you know, a life of character yeah. and you know, the model that Jesus had for us. And sometimes there's a lot of gray that we have to figure out. But our our human mind wants to figure everything out exactly and do it right instead right. of sitting in the gray area and wrestling with it and asking the Lord, what would you have me do with this? So the light of the situation? world, the city on the hill thing is, um, I mean, it's a part of the way Jesus tells us to live out the Lord's prayer mm. on earth as it is in heaven. So if I was a non-believer and I saw the way you treated your employees, you treated your office space, you know, all the things, your family, and I were to say, what is it about? Like everything you touch gets better. What is that? Well, you don't say, well, because I'm a, I'm a hard worker. You say, because I serve a creator God and this stuff matters because yeah. he created it. And so how I steward it matters. That's, I mean, that's the ethic in, in the Great Commission mm -hmm. that everything we touch should get better. Yeah. So uh, one more thing before we take a couple audience questions. You mentioned this idea of if you work at church, you're no longer in ministry. Would you go so far as to say that everybody should be talking about what they do? Well, my ministry is to build houses. Like, um, because I've heard people say, well, I, I was in the workforce and now I'm in ministry. Yeah. And, I, and it's, just, it's just kind of, it's just a little bit of a language juke just to like, uh -huh. I mean, I think so. I think yes. You know, I think we would all be saying we serve at the church and then everybody else would say my ministry is. I think that would be a theologically accurate but linguistic Jesus juke mm -hmm. to everybody because it would be very confusing to everybody else. All right. Uh, I love a good Jesus juke. <laughs> all right, I got a couple audience questions here. Uh, Pastor Joby, you said during the sermon that any society where fathers decrease, the government will increase. Please yep. elaborate. Just, just track it over human history. Yeah. So <clears throat> um, somebody has to be responsible for the family. The way the Bible sets it up is that mom and dad, together as a team, have dominion over, okay? And then even in that relationship, they are mutually submitted to one another, but the husband is the head. Anytime you remove fathers from the equation, the needs of families are still there. That's right. right. Now, not just individually, but socially speaking. Well, the only way to meet that is that the role of government is going to increase and increase and increase. Somebody's got to fill that need. And if you look at our current situation, our government is actively trying to remove parents from the decision-making of the family so that their role increases and increases and increases. Mm. And you track the downfall of any civilization ever, and it was as the fathers quit doing their job. Mm. And the government tried to step in a role that's not theirs. Mm. Wow. Ooh. Rebecca, how have you seen the uh, talk a little bit about the impact in your practice of, of the father's role in particular in the, the home or in the child? Yeah, it's 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 big on a lot of fronts. Um, fathers teach so many things alongside of mothers and reinforce, uh, come alongside at a certain 
point in development and take over that role of, you know, training up the child. Right. It's, it's, it's meant to be done together because, because God is all of the male and female attributes. Correct. So if you have only one or the other in the home, you're not getting the unique teaching from hmm. the other um, the other gender. And I want to say, I know there's a bunch of individual situations here. So the church's yeah. stance ought to be where the ideal is unrealized, grace abounds. Yes. Right. So for the single dad raising his kids, here we are. Let us help. For the single mom, right. I mean, regardless of how you got into that situation, mm-hmm. right? Um, you're not a you're not a, a sociology experiment, and we'll say we'll see how it works. No, 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 man. We, mm-hmm. um, in fact, I talked to a girl tonight. She works with an organization called Young Lives, mm-hmm. and it is to help teenage mamas, mm-hmm. and we eleven twenty two supports them, and so. In that situation, so you say, well, what am I going to do? You know, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't like make a, a father appear. Um, well, that's why you have a church family where there's a bunch of fathers, there's a bunch of men, a bunch of mamas, a mm-hmm. bunch of women, a bunch of brothers and mm-hmm. sisters, and then we engulf those mm-hmm. places because when the ideal is unrealized, grace abounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've heard you talk about, Pastor Joby, where uh, prior to the Industrial Revolution, the family unit would work all together. Right. And so then when when work became a place you left the home to go to, then yeah. some of that interaction, a lot of it was was really diminished. Well, the moment that like raising children became women's work. Mm. uh Oh, this is the invention of the lazy boy, the lunch pail. Mm-hmm. And dad went off to work and the boys and girls never were discipled by their dad. They never saw him hire and fire, you know, do those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that was over there somewhere, mm-hmm. and his primary role just becomes a, a, a bank. He's mm-hmm. just to bring the resources, mm-hmm. and mom's going to run everything. Mm-hmm. That is not God's ideal. Mm-hmm. God's ideal is that they are they have dominion over whatever little part of the garden of this world that God has given mm-hmm. them. And that's why I pointed that out, too. I didn't yep. hear you moo on that one. You were like, hmm. <laughs> but the husband does not have yeah. dominion over his wife. That's mm-hmm. very clear there. Right. Mm-hmm. That. Those two, like the husband doesn't rule over his wife. The husband and wife rule together over whatever little part of creation that God has given unto them. Right. And those are the most fulfilled couples that I see and families are the ones that are ruling together, right? They are uniquely figuring out what that looks like in their family. You know, I've predominantly always been... Um, working outside the home. And that's been a calling of mine. And Sean and I have worked together to figure out what that's going to look like, right? Sure. I don't always cook. I try to, though, because he's not very good. You do grill. She's the griller <laughs> I at am her the house. Griller. Nice. That's more about control, but um, <laughs> but I do that. But but he is, you know, Sean has always been very active in every aspect of our children's lives for because sure. we needed to figure that out for what God was calling our family to. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I see that across the board. When a couple can work together and 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 get out of like some sort of I don't know what you're saying post-industrial revolution mm-hmm. roles. I mean, no wonder yeah. the feminists rose up. They're like, wait a minute, that's not how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so now we get this again. We get the extremes right. back and forth and back and forth. But but the Bible has it right. You're supposed to figure this out together and and mm-hmm. negotiate how to have dominion over what God has given you. Yeah. And so how does community? I mean, you talked about Coach Lee, Pastor Joby. And how does just ordinary community solve some of that t- today? You know what I mean? Like when he'd say, just get in the truck. Yeah, I mean, not, yeah. So my dad, even though we didn't go to church together, 
I was surrounded by like these really godly folks, you know, mm-hmm. coaches and stuff like that. And, and they poured into my life and mm-hmm. here I am. Yeah. And so it, it's a key role for all the people in our church to play, mm-hmm. not just at work, but in our community, you know, in our kids ministry and student ministry, yeah. things like that. And then also with their coworkers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue. You didn't know I was going to ask this. Here's an, another question. Uh, at work, especially if you work with friends, how do you overcome shyness to speak about the gospel or encourage them to seek God in work relationships? Acts one eight says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes what we try to do is like we feel this evangelical guilt, like, oh, i got to share my faith, got to share my faith, and then you try to do it in your own power. Mm. So like you can trust him. He wants your friend to get saved way more than you do. He died on the cross for him. Mm-hmm. You just have to work next to him. Okay. <laughs> so pray for the opportunity. Mm. Like legit, Lord, I want this. I know you want it. Yeah. I'm trying to be obedient. Legitimately pray for him. I'm there you one more, right? Like pray, pray, pray. I prayed for my dad for 30 years. And I love y'all, but I can share the gospel better. Okay? I mean, I just can't. I can, te- I can answer all the questions about the dinosaurs and Noah's Ark, whatever you want to ask. I got the answer. Okay, so... However, I'd led like 10,000 people to Christ at our church or some crazy number. And the one dude that I tried to talk to the most, I couldn't do it. And I'm writing a sermon on prayer and the spirit of God says, text him. And I text my dad. Do you want to surrender your life to Christ? And he said, I'm ready. What the heck? How does that even happen? He's been to so many sermons. (laughs) So pray, God, would you help me see the opportunity and then just be prepared when he gives you the opportunity. Because mm-hmm. don't make him a liar. Yeah. Don't be like, God, I'll do it. And then they go, so what did you do last night? Uh, nothing. Yeah, you did. You went to church. You know? Mm-hmm. So whatever it is. Because, mm-hmm. you know, speaking of Calvin, you can't save him. Mm-hmm. Your presentation is never, ever, trust mm-hmm. me, I do this for a living. Mm-hmm. And the one guy I tried to present the gospel to for 30 years, it didn't work until God saved him. So right. that's it. You just be available. Pray for the opportunity. Keep your eyes open. Mm-hmm. I'd highly encourage you to take a share of your faith class because that's going to equip you to be able to see more opportunities and be better equipped. Mm-hmm. But if you just think of the phrase, share your faith, sometimes you just share an invitation, and I'll do it. I promise. And then you can follow up. Sometimes you uh, you share their burdens, this is a big deal. Yeah. You should be the person at your work that when it hits the fan, everybody comes to you because you're the prayer person. Mm-hmm. And regardless of what they think about prayer, they want you to pray just in case. So be that person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you share the whole gospel. Sometimes you share your story. Like you should know how to share your testimony. Mm-hmm. You should have like the extended version and then you should know how to like real quick, this is how I got into The YouTube it. Reels version. <laughs> That's right. And then this is the biggest one, maybe. And sometimes you just share another cup of coffee because this is a person that you love and God loves, not a project. We're not trying to count them in some thing, yeah. you know? We're just, so that's it. You just, you just continue that relationship because, again, Acts 17, they're close, man. If you're praying for them, they are really close to God. They feel far away, but they're not. Yeah. There's so much encouragement in what you just said. I, love, I mean, and I think the Lord's been teaching me not to feel so guilty and condemned, right? Because it's not about, it's not about me and it takes practice. Like I have been in the conversation and like, they're like, Oh, what do you do? And I talk about, Oh, I work at pastor 1122. Like, Oh yeah. And then they move on. And later I think, (laughs) 
I should have a better answer or like a next thing that I would say. So do you go to church? And then I was like, why did I think of that in the moment? You know? So I'm practicing. I'm getting better at it all the time. And, and I, I think a lot of the shyness comes from you don't think you will have the answers. Okay. So read John chapter nine. Got the blind guy gets healed. And uh, three times the leaders are like, where is he? How did he do it? Those kind, and, yeah. and three times he goes, I don't know. But I do know this. I was blind and now I see. Mm. Right. You don't have to have the answers, you know? Mm. And you can come ask Jonathan. He will give you the answers, and then you can go back <laughs> later in the week and explain all the things. I would be happy to share a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, okay, last one. Uh, you mentioned that work and worship have the same root word. Yeah. Are there any specific verses that you are, that come to your mind when, when you make that connection? Or is it just generally the, the root of the word? It is generally the root of the word that God uses in Genesis 1 and 2. I do think it's interesting at the building of the temple when God lays out what will be required of it. He talks about like the, the, the furniture that will be used. He talks about the role of the Levites and the priests and the sacrifices that will be made. He talks about the worship instruments and stuff. And he talks about the people that are going to be building it mm -hmm. and what they will do. And it's all in one mm -hmm. clump. It's like mm -hmm. if you had an org chart at the original temple, he did not separate out the work, the quote-unquote worship leaders from the people that were sewing the purple drapes. If you read the, if you read the description, it's like Rick James was the interior decorator. <laughs> it was pretty. I mean, it's a lot of gold and purple, and Ooh, you know yes. what I mean. It's gold. Mm. <clears throat> but, but that's the way God talks about it. Yeah. Uh, same thing. Then uh, that was for the tabernacle. Same thing uh, that the way David talks about it when they're building the the mm. temple. Mm -hmm. Now we had the, a couple of years ago we talked through the Shema quite a bit yeah. and God being one, that holistic nature of him, right? And we're made in his image. So it's almost as if there's, if you asked Moses or Solomon or David, like, what about your work-life balance? You know, they'd be like, what? Yeah. What totally. are you talking about? You know, it's all the same thing. So the word, yeah. So the Shema is, Shema Israel, Eloheinu Adonai, Eloheinu Echad. The word Echad, we translate one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. As Western Americans, we think, so God needs to be number one on my list. And you've even seen bumper stickers that are like, God, family, country. <laughs> that's, a, that's not a biblical idea. God first life. That is, it's, it's God is like the page on which you would write all of your lists. Mm. So to love God with all means, so I'm going to glorify God at work, and I'm going to mm. glorify God at home, and I'm going to glorify God at church. And we do different activities in these places right. and all should be to the glory of God. And when we can begin to think of work that way, it will actually, it'll free you up yeah. to be able to work harder, be better because you're working for the Lord. Right. Mm. That's different. So yeah. there's no word in, in Hebrew, there's no word for spiritual. Like if you were asked Jesus, a rabbi in the first century, also the son of God, and you were to say, so tell me of your spiritual life. He's not like he's going to say, I did my quiet time today. It would, he would, there are prayers in the Mishnah. There are prayers where you would get up in the morning and thank God that your holes work properly for the bathroom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you would give glory to God the way you went to the bathroom. Because if they don't work properly, it has turned into a prayer request, mm -hmm. not a praise moment, right? <laughs> and so I think Jesus would be like, so how's your spiritual life? He's like, it's incredible. I was alone with the Father on the mountain, and then I ate fish, and then I walked to Jericho. And all of those things mm -hmm. yeah. would be aimed at the Lord. Yeah. It's not like... 
well, I'm done with the worship yeah. and now go to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, It's that. So worship is not to be, I mean, work is not to be worship or wasted. Those would be like the two right. ditches. Yeah. But work is worship yeah. when we aim it at him. Rebecca, how's, uh, how are you able to every day see your professional practice as a ministry or an act of worship? I think I share Jesus probably more now than I did working inside the church. Hmm. Um, because I think sometimes we can just take for granted when we're around a bunch of Christians hmm. that you know already know the Lord. And so I get the opportunity to consider um, the aspect of people that is spiritual because like you were hmm. saying, we're a whole integrated being. So we were made to be connected to our creator. But some people don't have... an understanding of that or connection to that. They don't, they, you know, maybe didn't grow up with any of that understanding, but everybody is longing and searching for it. And so Mm. I'm, this is maybe like a a secret of what I do, but I'm, if there is a non-believer, of course I meet people where they are. That's the ethic of my profession, but I am always looking for an opportunity, a nudging of the Holy Spirit to give me an opportunity to share with someone Mm what what that spiritual life might look like mm-hmm. and how they might find that. I actually don't know how to work with someone that's struggling with identity without pointing them to the creator. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really difficult. I'm not sure what mm-hmm. other handles to use. Right. And so that is an opportunity to just say, well, where do you think you came from? And and start it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think Rebecca's got an advantage in that it's not hard for you to say, how am I working unto the Lord? Because... Uh, Pardon the language, but just to super simplify it, broken relationships and broken people come to you, and you help put these things back together. That's a that's a pretty quick like. Oh yeah, I'm working for the Lord. Mm-hmm. I do think it would be very important for every person. Um, if you look at your job and you're like, well, I'm, I'm a cashier at Publix. What? How am I? You know, da, 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 da. I think it would be a really good idea to get your eyes up off the horizon a little bit and spend some time. So if you work at Publix, I would say people pray for their daily bread. You are a part of the answer to that prayer. Mm-hmm. If you do tile work, what what does it look like? Like how is God using you in the advancement of his kingdom, the flourishing of his people? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that when you when the enemy begins to whisper that what you're doing is meaningless, it's not. It's mm-hmm. not. When Solomon in... Uh, Ecclesiastes, some translations translate it meaningless. That's not what it means, man. Uh, Vanity of vanities is right. It's in vain if it's just under the sun. But if you get your eyes above the sun and you're doing what the Creator told you to do, it is not meaningless. It is very meaningful to me and my family that somebody built our house and laid those floors and, you know, whoever makes refrigerators made our refrigerator. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I think it'd be a really good idea. And if you're a student, ever think about this? Jesus did not start his earthly ministry until he was 30 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he was 12, he was studying at the feet of the greatest teachers in Jerusalem. So do that unto the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would, be, it would help people a lot to identify their part in the cultural mandate. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I notice when, when we go places in the community and there are people that do seem to have a Jesus lens mm-hmm. that they're looking at you through, they just look at you differently. They talk to you differently. They might mm-hmm. tell you to have a blessed day mm-hmm. or they, they in some way indicate that they are seeing you through their Jesus lenses. And I think that's that's something that I talk about in my practice sometimes. Like mm-hmm. put on your Jesus lenses in the morning and see people the way Jesus wants you to see them. You will treat them differently. You will speak to them differently. God may stir in you and give you, you know, a word or a prayer for them that they need to hear that day. Like you might be their encounter with Jesus for that day. Yeah. And the darker our world gets, the less intense light has to be to show up. Right. Like you don't have to be a big bonfire for Jesus, you know, kind of thing. I mean, it (laughs) could be as simple if you're the only person that says bless you or I'll pray for you or something like that. In this dark world, man, that could be a beaming light. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's bring it full circle here. I love this. So we talked a little while ago about the garden yeah, and the jewels and the gold and all that stuff. Well, the end of the story is a city. A city. And if you look in Revelation 21... He's speaking about all the things that it's made out of, and he talks about a lot of gold and jewels and everything. But I love this verse, Revelation 21, 24, talking about the city of God. It's light. In its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. So the things that we make, the things that we create, like we're creating, like you said, rearranging the raw goods for flourishing, that's the glory of the nations. Right. They will. There's certain things that are going to end up in heaven because people flourished to a degree, and it will be, the, it'll be to the glory of God for eternity in the city of God. Yeah, and Eden literally means a walled garden. Mm-hmm. And so when you read the description of heaven, which, by the way, is not the eternal place that we end up. Heaven's like a waiting room. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth mm-hmm. where we will work. Yes. Where there will be, where people will rule and reign over yeah. angels and right. things like that, <clears throat> and inside the city is still trees and river of life mm-hmm. and these kinds of yeah. things. And instead of it being walled off like Eden is to keep all of the wilderness out and an, a cherubim with a sword in front of it to protect it, the gates there are never ever ever closed. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the only ones in are the ones that wanted to be in, mm-hmm. that wanted a relationship yeah. with God. And can you imagine setting, spending your entire days and your entire life, which is forever, by the way, <laughs> doing work with none of the resistance that you talked about? Correct. With none of the thorns, none of the thistles, none of the hardship. Everybody gets along. Everybody gets along. Nobody's giving you a hard time. <laughs> And the satis- think about the satisfaction of a job you did where it's just like, we just crushed it. You know what I mean? Right. It'll be that times a thousand. And better. And better. Whatever your best day is, whatever your best moment is, pales in comparison. Mm-hmm. To be to, like an unadulterated face-to-face with your heavenly Father mm-hmm. in a glorified body. Can I get a witness from all the 50 and up crowd now? <laughs> uh, you know, no more pain, no more tears. Mm-hmm. All the things mm-hmm. in your fullness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love what you said, you know, that, that we as believers ought to be uh, known for th- not only this view of eternity, but how we work here on yeah. earth. So, Pastor Joe, would you just close this as we're 
wrapping up with with a prayer for that, for everybody who's doing their vocation as unto the Lord. I'd be happy to. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you created us in your image. God, we thank you that you work. <laughs> like when you sent Jesus to die on the cross and raise him from the grave, it worked. And so, God, would you help identif us identify uh, which ditch we tend to fall into? And so if we have a tendency towards being a sluggard or being slothful or being lazy or worshiping comfort, Spirit of God, would you stir in us that in everything we do, that we would work heartily as unto the Lord. Mm -hmm. And God, if we have a tendency to identify who we are with what we do, God, would you strip that away and would you remind us that we are identified as yours. Mm -hmm. We have been bought and paid for. Therefore, may we honor God with our entire life, hearts, soul, mind, and strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> the end. You nailed it.